going from one property in 2018 to 900 in July 23, while maintaining standards and continuing to surprise and delight guests, is a vast leap for a property management company. In today's episode, I talked to Dale Smith from UK-based Host and Stay about the family foundations of his business, meeting changing expectations in a traditional vacation market, and his goals for the company as it continues to grow, and much more. This is a great conversation, so let's go. This is the Vacation Rental Success Podcast, keeping you up to date with news, views, information and resources on this rapidly changing short-term rental business. I'm your host, Heather Bayer, and with 25 years of experience in this industry, I'm making sure you know what's hot, what's not, what's new and what will help make your business a success. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. This is your host, Heather Bayer, and as ever, I'm super delighted to be back with you once again. You know, I always thought we did a really, really great job. In 1998, I brought my first property in Ontario and it was closely followed by five others and then started a property management company. And by the time we sold in 2022, we had around 150 cottages and it had provided a great living for our family for 20 years. The Ontario market was, and still is, a very traditional one with an established way of doing things. But we came along and disrupted it in many ways. Firstly, by insisting on cleaning being provided as standard, you know, leave us found was a thing right up until recent years. Then we replaced the standard damage deposit with a waiver scheme. We were the first agency to ditch the physical welcome book and replace it with a touch stay digital guidebook for every property and to have a minimum standard inventory that we wouldn't compromise on. Those seemed pretty big at the time, but that's not what disruption is. There were so many things I would have loved to have done, and we didn't. I wish we'd had more control of design and decor and linen supply and housekeeping, but the stars never really got aligned to get those projects off the ground. So when I began to research today's guest and find that he had gone from one property to 900 in just five years and has around 90% control of housekeeping services and intends to double the inventory in the next year, and his properties are pretty widely spaced like ours were, it was, you know, it was a no-brainer to invite him to share how he's done this. Dale Smith is a dynamic entrepreneur with the best Yorker accent. So I know you're going to love this interview that shows how his business is growing at such a stratospheric rate and how he has achieved so much in such a short time. So I am super delighted to have with me today, Dale Smith from Host and Stay. Dale Hills from Yorkshire. Love the accent, Dale. Introduce <laughs> us, uh, just, just say hello. I think everybody's going to love this. <laughs> Hi, Heather. No, thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. It's really great to have you on. I've been doing a fair amount of research on your background and my jaw keeps dropping. So, <laughs> so I'm really interested to hear your story and find out really your secrets to success. So I want you to sort of share all. <laughs> Let's start with your backstory. Yeah, well, you know, what did you, what got you into this business in the first place? So the starting point for us in the, the holiday home and vacation rental space was 
us and I say us in terms of family. So the business is a family business, myself, my mum, my dad, my sister. My dad and I have been investing in standard, what we call in the UK, standard buy-to-let property. So kind of uh, multifamily stuff, I think, as, as the term is in, in kind of North America anyway. And we've been doing that for probably five years or so. After I left university, started working full time. My dad and I started buying property together. But then in 2017, we bought a, a holiday home back in our hometown of Saltburn. And it was kind of, there was no grand plan when we purchased it for it to be a holiday home. It was kind of just another speculative purchase, looked like good value, needed significant refurbishment. But it was right by the beach, had lovely sea views, and a lot of the potential. And we thought, right, well, let's actually have a go at the holiday let side of things. Hopefully it drives us more revenue. Maybe it'll derive more profitability for us. And that, that was kind of our foray into holiday lets that got us, got us started on that journey. So that was March 2017 that we launched that. We spoke to quite a few holiday let agents, kind of the traditional big agents that still exist in the UK. We're quite underwhelmed at what they gave us in terms of financial forecasts. I was surprised at how much they wanted to charge for what I thought was kind of the easiest part of the service, the kind of booking generation and sending booking comms to guests. But then when the guests got to the property, they wanted us to facilitate the housekeeper or they could put us in touch with the housekeeper and didn't really want anything to do with maintenance, but they could recommend some local handymen. So it was kind of, we'll do the front end part of the process for you. But when the guest gets there, you kind of have to deliver the guest experience yourself. So uh, we decided at that point, right, let's, get the property on Airbnb and booking.com and let's see if we can actually do this ourselves, which we did. And that was the start of the journey for us. So, you know, if we take the horse and stay business, that was the one property in March, 2017, which has now turned into just over 900 properties today. That's th- those are crazy numbers. So, you know, let's go back to 2017. You launched this property. It started to do well. It did. Yeah. So, all the forecasts that we got back, say from the bigger agencies, were forecasts of being between twenty and thirty thousand a year in terms of the, the the revenue. That property today does just over eighty thousand a year, so you know significantly more. I think in its first year of trading, we did just over fifty thousand. And that for us, once we started generating those bookings, that for us felt like wait a second, there's a there's a gap in the market with what we've been able to create here by using the OTAs. We created a specific website for that property. It's in a high footfall area. So we did, you know, we did leaflets. We did some branding on the windows of the property. So again, we'd started to look at ways of generating direct bookings as well. But yeah, that property was really successful from the start. And that's what got us hooked ultimately. So we knew at that point in time, you know, we've continued to do buy to let property. We do a bit of commercial, but holiday homes now is obviously where my passion is and I just love the fact with holiday homes, vacation rentals, that we can affect performance on a daily basis. You know, with standard property investment, it's very much set and forget. The rental, you know, is what it is. You might change it maybe once a year if you're lucky, but probably every two or three years. Whereas with the vacation rental stuff, it is, you know, performance management on a daily basis, really trying to optimize it and, and continue to drive performance. And, and that's kind of where I get the excitement from. So what was your goal? that one started to work well for you where did the goal come from to just get into this stage of growth Uh, it it took probably another 12 well just over probably 18 months from from that point so fast forward to december 2018 at that point in time we had two holiday homes of our own 
and we built up a small management portfolio, another seven properties that we managed for a couple of clients who found out about what we were doing. I actually went on a podcast back in 2017 after we'd launched Burnside and ended up with a few clients or a few which turned into be clients, people getting in touch that turned into clients that wanted us to facilitate a service for them. They were interested in holiday lettings, didn't really know what to do, had the capital to do it, but were not in the right location or didn't know what to do. So we, we started to do it for them. And then just friends of friends, other people locally that found out that we were doing this, wanted us to manage for them. So kind of ad hoc, we built a small management portfolio of nine properties. And that's when we said, right, we need to, we need to launch a brand because we think we've got, mm-hmm. we think we've got something that's a little bit different to offer and the properties we offered full management. So we did the booking generation, vast majority of that OTA platforms, obviously. We did the housekeeping, which is where my mum and my sister came in. You know, my dad and I would do that side as well if we needed to. My dad was very hands-on, so we'd do the maintenance side of things. I would do all of the the booking generation, pricing, the marketing. So between the four of us, my wife also got involved, her background's marketing. So between the family, we offered that full management solution. So all of those owners, they didn't do any part of the process themselves. It all sat with us. And so December 2018, we launched Tosin Stay and said, right, you know, the next year, we're going we're gonna to really push it and try and drive that service. And we set an objective of getting to 100 units by the end of 2019. We didn't quite got that, get there. We got to about just around, I think it was 75, 80 units in that first year under management. But good growth for our first year. And then ultimately, you know, the ambition has grown as we've, as we've gone forward from there. But we felt like we had something to offer that nobody else was offering in that, that North Yorkshire market at that point in time. So, so what was it that you were offering that was different? So the full management piece, Heather, that, that's the real difference. In, and when I say full management, kind of in-house full management, and that's what we still we still do today. That's our belief is, you know, from a housekeeping point of view, if I look at the existing portfolio of 900, I think we're 910 properties as of right now, over 80% of those are fully managed by us. And when I say fully managed, that's our own employed housekeeping staff, our own employed maintenance staff. So, you know, they run to our processes, our quality, our systems. We're not outsourcing to rely on third parties to deliver on our behalf. You know, it's truly our our own internal uh, resource that's delivering that. And that was the same back then, right? It was only it was only the family, but it was us that was out there delivering that service for those owners. So it, it kind of, if something was wrong, it was our it was our issue to deal with. But I also like the clarity of that in the sense that yes. If you deliver a great service, that's fantastic. If it goes wrong, you know, right, it's with you, but it's very clear in terms of those lines. Mm-hmm. There's no, oh, well, the housekeeper didn't turn up and we've had to find somebody else. There's no, well, the maintenance guy didn't turn up. There isn't any of that because it, it, it's with us. And that's where we feel like the value is for a property owner. If they're passing their property over to us, they know it, it's us that's looking after it and they know what, what quality they're going to get off the back of that. And we ultimately know what we need to deliver. Yeah, it's um, the, the Ontario market is not that different from the UK market. And I, you know, I remember going back to, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the 90s and before when I was taking my kids on vacation and we were going to Cornish cottages. And I remember that last yeah. day was always spent cleaning because you had to do you know, <laughs> you know, the levers found. Uh, yeah, and in okay, fact, yeah. I still heard from an owner just recently who, who was being rejected by a property management company. And they said, why won't they manage my property? And it's because he would not allow a cleaning service in there. 
he wanted his guest right, to still okay, leave well, it as found. We said, you know, this right, is okay. this is not what happens these days. Um, <laughs> yeah, totally. But uh, you know, it's, uh, things things have changed. I know in 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 the UK certainly as they have everywhere else. But we we still fa- found that, and I'm going to come on to um, owner acquisition in a bit. But uh, mm-hmm. we, we we still found that owners were reluctant to give up their yeah. their hands on. You know, they had their cleaner or they liked to go up and do their own changeovers. Yeah. Something we always yeah. said, you know, I, I, I used to do my changeovers on my own properties and and that's yeah, when okay. I got that when when I came across that idea that you get somebody else in to do it and it was like the world changed on that day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I say to people, you never do your own changeovers. Just yeah. get some you know somebody else will will do that for you and you don't have to yeah. be concerned about it. But it's it, it's interesting yeah. how how things have changed and, and guest expectations have changed a lot, of course, yeah, over yeah. the years. What about the guest expectations yeah. changing in in your market? What have you seen in five years? A big change, obviously. I think COVID has, has really driven that forward in terms of guest expectations on, on cleanliness. Expectations are higher, 100%, from guests in terms of, you know, quality of that product. I think when we went into the market in, in that 2017, 2018 period, our our philosophy, if we take Whitby in North Yorkshire, which is still our biggest market, and you know Whitby is always in the top five in terms of domestic travel destinations in the UK, but the stock in Whitby, it was, it was already very good for holiday letting, but the stock was very traditional and and very average in terms of you know what it looked like visually. It, it wasn't somewhere you'd necessarily think, I'm going to look and it's it's loads of great modern choice in terms of what the properties look like internally and design wise. So when we went into the Whitby market, our objective, we said, right, we want to be you know, top 15% of the marketplace in terms of product quality. That was our objective. You know, we've, we've kind of widened that now in terms of the quality of properties we take, we will do upper quartile. So for us, it's four and five star properties. So we, we say top 25% of the market is what our stock is, but certainly going into that Whitby market, top 15%, and that was our ambition to deliver that type of quality. Back then in 2017, 2018, it was quite easy to do. We've seen over the last five years that other owners have raised the bar to other stock coming into the market has certainly been a better quality than what it would have been, which makes it more competitive, but also raises the guest expectation because you know anyone looking on booking.com now for Whitby, you know, you you've got you know, quality after quality, whereas back then we would have had really good cut through and stand out in terms of our horse and steer properties versus the the other competitors in that market. And then we've certainly seen in terms of cleanliness of properties, guest expectations have changed from that point of view, expectations on on upkeep, because as we all know, you know, it was interesting, I was having a conversation with someone the other day about guest damage, and we were saying essentially guest damage happens pretty much every single stay in the sense of the some wear and tear or damage takes place, but sometimes it's so small that you don't really recognize it. The next day, obviously it can be, can be much bigger than it, it becomes a problem, but that staying on top of wear and tear mm-hmm. has changed from a guest point of view. They expect the property to be almost, almost brand new when they, when they go into it. And we all know to actually do that is difficult to keep on top of, but also from a commercial point of view, from the owner's point of view, there's got to be a balance of, what you can stay on top of and what actually you need to let run in cycles. Otherwise it, it isn't actually commercially viable. And I do believe it, you know, it's a guest expectation. I think that's driven a lot of that. And we all know obviously how report and reviews and review scores are as well from that point of view. So 
so yeah, landscapes change massively. I think a lot of that is, is being driven by guests ultimately, and also more people moving to use of holiday homes and vacation rentals. Because again, five years ago, the volume in the market and the occupancy levels would not have been what, what they are today. So more people are definitely taking that route over traditional B&B, certainly, which, well, which the coastal market would have been full of five years ago. Yeah, what about, um, I was reading recently about you know, articles saying that the staycation, the UK staycation is over. And th- I mean, this summer has been a different animal right across mm-hmm. Europe and and certainly North America. People are not yeah. seeing what they saw in 2020, 2021, and, and maybe 22. Yeah. What are you seeing? Our occupancy levels, uh, so if I, if, I, if I roll back to 2022, our occupancy levels in 2022 pretty much mirrored 2019 month on month so if i took that that kind of you know we're we're coastal and rural so we are very seasonal in terms of mm-hmm. peaks and troughs with school holidays obviously we're right smack in the middle of high season at the moment 2022 was a mirror image for me of 2019 we didn't expect it to be we expected occupancy to be a little bit higher because we expected more hangover from that covid period and people still being unsure about traveling but for me as soon as 2022 started or certainly as we we're into february it was pretty much everyone went abroad mm-hmm. If I look at occupancy this year, we're very similar. Again, we had a bit of a downturn in, I think it was June, was a bit of a lower month than us than what we were forecasting. If I take our budget forecast year to date, we're right on that. August, we look like we're going to come in slightly over budget. The weather, however, in the UK has been terrible for the last six weeks, like literally terrible. Otherwise, I think we would have probably been a little bit ahead. So we're broadly in line from an occupancy point of view of where we'd actually expect to be in our market mm-hmm. that said rates are still higher than what they were in 2019 but they're obviously significantly lower than what they were in the second half of 2021 and they've certainly come down versus last year as well but i also think that had to happen heather i think anybody that got into the holiday let space in the second half of 2021 in that real boom period, once the doors opened up, I think it was mid-April over here in the UK, we just saw a massive spike in occupancy and rate, but that was unsustainable. And if anybody coming in thinking that was the norm was kind of a, you know, it was a false economy ultimately. And I think we've, we've definitely seen that over the last few years, we've seen more stock come into the market. I think more investors come into the market during that COVID period, kind of banking on a uh, lots of domestic travel post-COVID, which, which we got, but we got it in really a real condensed fashion mm-hmm. in that second half of 2021. You know, buyers paying premiums because prices rocketed, interest rates are now obviously catching up with people. So I think uh, in terms of what that looks like going forward, I think we will see supply start to drop. So I think we'll see people who are not in it for the long term will start to sell those properties, transfer them back to potentially buy to let. So we'll see that we'll see the the stock in the market start to drop back, which I think is a good thing for everybody who is into uh, you know vacation rentals holiday let for the long term. And uh, I do think, however, we'll continue to see demand just gradually increase. Because again, if I look at our occupancy rates, with the number of properties we've got now, and our occupancy rates back in 2019 when the portfolio was probably 25% of the size of it is now, we're still seeing good balance. So for me, we're, we're still getting that right balance between occupancy and rate. So I think our position will strengthen as we go through the next 12 or 18 months because the, those individual single operators who come to realise it's not as easy as uh, what it may may seem from the outside will will kind of drop out of the market. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still bullish in terms of staycations. And, and same again, if you look at the UK market, 
every time there is a recession period or a tightening from a financial point of view, domestic travel increases. It's always more cost effective to to go abroad, always has been. And I think it will, it, if we go into next year, it still will be more cost effective or will become more cost effective to stay in the UK again than what it has been the last couple of years. There's been a couple of um, posts on Facebook groups that I've come across recently from managers saying, you know, how do we deal with owners who are struggling, who bought, you know, as you said, in in 2020 and 2021, they relished in those high rates and it was great. And then, of course, and I know that, um, you know, I mean, we were explaining to owners before we sold our company that 2022 was not going to be the same as 20 and 21. I mean, we went mm-hmm. through exactly the same thing. We, yeah. we were closed down for, six, for, for four months in 2020 and six months in 2021. You know, there was no, um, yeah, okay. from, for, it was Boxing Day to June the 5th, I think, in 2021, we were shut down. Right. And the moment, and you yes. must have experienced this, the moment that restriction lifted, yeah. It was the floodgates opened, and for those owners yeah, who yeah, bought, was, yeah. in, who bought then, it was just like, wow, let's keep putting the prices up. And of course, yeah, you know, getting completely. into twenty twenty two, it was a challenge for them, and even more so now. Yeah, but I'm, I'm yeah. hearing this right across the um, the US, and managers saying, you know, how do we explain this? You know, it's 2020, yeah. 2019 rates. We we need to yeah. roll it back. Yeah, totally. It is. And that's, I think that is the thing we've just seen this, uh, you know, this, this kind of peak, I guess, in the cycle where we're now back at probably where we should have been. If 2020 was a normal year, we're kind of back, we're kind of 20, for me, 2022 was kind of getting towards that. And we're, we've, we've lost a couple of years where we've had this crazy period and now we're back to kind of normal operating. The issue that we've got is, is those owners that came on during that period and have bought at high prices and are also expecting these kind of these rates that that just weren't sustainable ultimately but i spoke at an event recently when we were talking about uh, the event was just general property investors across all different sectors and and my kind of view with it all with everything property related right now is is really asking the question of how long you're looking to to invest in the property for and i think unless you're willing to invest in that property if you're you know if you're purchasing today or you've purchased in the last 24 months unless you're willing to hold that asset for, for five to 10 years minimum, then it's the wrong game mm. for you. Ultimately, if you're wanting to make quick money as in a 12 or 24 month return, then you need to be trading property ultimately to make money from it. Whereas if you're investing ultimately, which is what, which is what this is, it's got to be that five or 10 years. If we look at it, if you're buying up a holiday home as an investment, it's got to be an investment. It's got to be a five, 10 year view on what you're going to make back off that asset because You've got to ride the, the kind of ups and downs on capital growth. You've got to ride the kind of, you know, the challenges from an economic point of view to look at it over that period and say, right, you know, was it worth it or not? And I think we've all all ended up certainly with low interest rates, rising house prices, the kind of the COVID boom of actually making money too quickly almost. And then we've got to kind of get back to actually thinking, right, if I'm investing in something, we know mm-hmm. that that is a medium to long term uh, objective, not an immediate short-term objective and i think there's got to be a bit of mentality shift for, from property owners that exactly that if they want to make money quickly in one or two years then ultimately holiday letting on general investment in property or buy and hold investment isn't isn't the strategy it's kind of you know for me development or refurbishing to sell type strategies if you want to make you know make a quick buck ultimately 
Yeah, sadly, we're still seeing the ads on Facebook that says make your million with Airbnb overnight. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but hey, you know, I, th- yeah. I think people need to be savvy enough to see through those. Uh, I just want to yeah, go back yeah, totally. to want totally. to go back a bit to your to your scaling and you know the competitiveness and you know competitors who are you know mm-hmm. catching up to you now. And and I remember this this is what happened with us. We would we would disrupt with something. And and it went great for a couple yep. of years until you know all our competitors sort of c- caught on to this. I remember one of them was when we started using Touchday, and everybody else right, was okay, using yep. the the you know the old welcome books that sat on the coffee table yep. and dog-eared yep. and coffee stained, and we went into Touchday and for for our guests that it was in every review how amazing mm-hmm. this was. It took about three years before all our competitors jumped on the digital welcome, yeah. you know, digital guide bandwagon. So, you know, I know you've always got to take that next step to keep ahead. So with the scaling on the level that you're doing, how can you continue that competitive, continue with that competitive edge? And also how can you continue at that level of scaling to keep surprising and delighting your guests so they want to come back to your brand every time? So, I suppose on the scaling front, we've always viewed ourselves as kind of right in the middle between the traditional agents, you know, the the kind of the aways, which is cottages.com brand in the UK, the, the travel chapter, the Sykes, who are, you know, have been around for you know a long time, ultimately probably 10 plus years or more, and have, have really consolidated the market of the smaller players over the last 10 years in the UK. So, you know, if you look at the UK market, you've got travel chapter, cottages.com and Sykes, who are between them are probably about 70, 70 75,000. Uh, holiday homes under management you've then got another few players and then us so it, it's it's really fragmented in terms of how much disparity there is between the different sizes but we've always viewed ourselves as between those guys and then looking at how do we align with the OTA so we we always view booking.com airbnb verbal etc as partners and we've we've obviously always generated bookings through those guys and continue to do whereas the traditional operators on this side don't really seem to use them and see them more as competition I think as an advantage that our ability to use the OTAs effectively has really helped us scale. It's helped us generate revenue for owners that they couldn't get at the more traditional agents. And we've used that to our advantage. I think one of our risks is if the bigger agents start to use the OTAs better, because I still think they view them as, as competition rather than, than partners. I think that's a risk for us if they do start to use them well. But then on the on the flip side, a lot of our smaller competitors now our advantage is actually our our on the ground resource. A lot of our smaller competitors really struggle, as as we all still do, on on being able to provide those on the ground services, the housekeeping, the maintenance services that over the last few years have, have become really difficult to get hold of. And I think that is causing a a barrier for a lot of the smaller agents to actually scale their business because they're not able to to get the resource on board to be able to scale it. Whereas we got past that point, you know, probably luckily in a period where we could still recruit it and we've managed to take it with us and we're, we're still able to recruit that, you know, we've got the resources to be able to recruit that on the ground staff. So I think we're actually in a nice position from a, from the point of view of being able to continue to scale because we've, we've got, you know, the resources and the capital to do so versus the smaller guys not being able to, but our risk is still whether some of the bigger competitors kind of come back at us, but they also don't seem to want to do the full management piece. And it's probably quite difficult for them to do that full management piece now on the scale that they're at. You know, if you've got 25,000 properties under management to, to deliver out a full management service is, 
is a tough ask ultimately. And I think those big guys have got obviously different aspirations in terms of what they see their business as ultimately. So we're still relatively bullish on being able to scale. We see that as coming as a continued organic growth. And we're also looking to acquire other property management business as well. So we see that as obviously another growth area for us. And our objective is is we want to be at 5,000 units under management by the end of 2025. Um, and we see those, you know, those additional 4,000 units from where we are now is coming pretty much 50-50 split as between organic growth, which continues across the UK as we continue to scale, and then acquiring the other other 2,000 by, um, you know, sweeping up some of the smaller property managers that have got to that 100, 150, 200 level and, and ultimately can't or don't want to scale past that point because uh, we all know how difficult it is at that level and how involved you are at that level in terms of um, of doing the day-to-day stuff as well. And then kind of on your other point, Heather, on, on delighting guests as well, for us, it's always looking right, what can we, what can we add into that guest experience? So if you take a, a product that we're going to launch imminently, actually, we, we're just about to launch the host and stay app. And we've got a, a technology product baked into the host and stay app that will enable our guests to redeem incentives at local independent businesses uh, where they're staying. So we see that as two pronged. We're, we're really big from an ESG point of view. That's high on our radar. We did a lot of work across 2022 on, on developing our ESG strategy as a business. We are, as we said earlier, you know, a very, uh, very family oriented business. We, we employ a lot of people kind of hyper-locally. Hyper so we employ just over 375 people just now and over 55% of those are still in the kind of immediate 60 mile radius of, of where, we, where, we, where we created the business. So we want to do a lot of good at, at local level. So we're trying to get our guests when they come and stay in a host and stay a property, not to spend that pound at a, a Starbucks or a Costa or a, or a big a national chain. We want them spending that pound with local independent businesses. So through our host and stay app, we're, we're effectively joining those two together to give guests fantastic recommendations and warm introductions to those independent retailers of where we know they're going to go and get a good experience. So again, we see that scaling across the UK as we do. That's just kind of a flavor of some of the things we're trying to bring into that guest experience that they're not necessarily going to go and get with another holiday let brand ultimately. Yeah, I love that. How do you communicate with your guests? What are the touch points along the guest's journey from booking to stay where Um, you communicate with them? Yeah, so again, we'll we'll communicate with them directly on the channel that they they book. So we use Guesty as our PMS. So obviously, we've got a lot of integrated and automated workflows that run. So you know, if the guest when the guest books with us, they'll get an immediate booking confirmation with details of their stay. That'll go out via email and via the channel they book from. If it's an Airbnb, Booking.com, Booking, etc. Before they arrive at the property is when we we use TouchStay. So we'll bring the TouchStay guide into that point. That will be woven into the host and stay app going forward. So another hopefully another another thirty days from now, the host and stay app and touch and touch stay will be integrated into that host and stay app. So that will give us a nice new touch point with the guests that will actually give us more interaction, albeit at digital level, give them more interaction and more more sort of bespoke interaction than what they're currently getting in kind of you know a flat messaging mm-hmm. format. When guests arrive with us, they'll always get a, an SMS or a WhatsApp message, depending on on the preference, to make sure that they've checked in all right, that everything's okay. We also ask them to give us an initial feedback rating out of five when they check into the property. If that comes back at uh, less than a four, then our um, guest service team will reach out to them, make sure everything's okay, see what we can do to rectify any issues. 
And then once we get into the post day section, again, we'll follow up them 24 hours after they've checked out. That at the moment, again, goes out via email or via channel, but we'll also be bringing the host and stay app and push notifications into, into some of this stuff as well. And then we'll try and stay in touch. You know, we, we send out regular email campaigns. We're relatively good at segmenting our database down into different guest profiles who will run on different, uh, different schedules, different offers and incentives. We have uh, quite a bit of AI running in the business. So we'll serve guests that have stayed with us, again, recommendations on future places to stay based on what they've booked previously and what we think they would like to book going forward. So we're trying to, although that a lot of those touch points are obviously very technology driven rather than human interaction, if you like, although we are looking at ways to drive more guest reviews, which is going to have follow-up calls in the loop as well, which is something we're, we're currently putting in place to bring some more of that human interaction back in. You know, a lot of that is technology driven and we're trying to just drive more personalization in that. Whereas in recent years, we'd have been very regimented of guests going through very similar processes, regardless of whether they're male, female, young, old, mm. pet lover, brought a dog with them, etc. would have been quite flat where now we're trying to bring more personalization in with the other, other technology tools we've got at our disposal. We're also aware of, you know, we need to bring some human interaction into it as well, which is always a challenge when you're trying to, to do things that, uh, at scale ultimately yeah exactly i was going to ask you the question about ai and you know what's changed in your business since mm -hmm. you know ai re i mean i know so many companies were using ai prior to december of last, yeah. last year <laughs> yeah. but it seems like you know everybody knows about it now you know the whole population yeah. knows about it now so yeah. how are you how are you incorporating ai into the business so we use it in the so we use it on the our website on the host and stay website. So all of our all of our recommendations on the site so that we push to the user will be based on their behaviour on site and and sites they've been visiting. So that was kind of the first touch point for us. We brought that in uh, at some point last year, probably about twelve months ago, I think. So that was our first kind of foray into AI and trying to drive more personalisation for guests that are trying to book on our host and stay website. We then develop that into that email journey we were talking about. So when guests are getting emails from us, again, they're personalized based on their preferences and past bookings and, and what we think would, would suit them. This year now, we've got AI in our guest relations team. So again, we're trying to auto-generate messages that are effectively reading that guest message using data that we've got within our PMS, auto-generating that, that guest message. Our guest service advisors will still check that message before sending it currently, but we're hoping we'll be able to, well, we will be able to start and automate some of those where, you know, where it needs a quick answer, where the guest, for whatever reason, can't locate the key safe code and they need a quick one, you know, one sentence reply of what the key safe code is and where the key safe is, those type of things we're trying to automate so that, again, we can better utilize our existing resource. Uh, we're currently using it as well now in terms of reading guest reviews and extracting out wherever guests are reporting issues in reviews and then pushing that into our maintenance and repair system so that automatically generates workflows for our maintenance guys to go out and attend to an issue proactively. Again, that would have been a manual response between probably three members of the department um, or between departments, sorry, that we're now starting to automate through AI. So we've got lots of other uses for it on the roadmap and ultimately i guess from my perspective it, it's looking and saying right where do we have human touch points that have a higher percentage or, or higher error rate because ultimately humans are fallible and and we can have issues 
where can we use AI to automate that and, and ultimately take away the chance of the ball getting dropped? So mm -hmm. I always relate to, well, if a guest, sorry, is talking to a guest guest service advisor and they then need to talk to the maintenance department and then the maintenance coordinator needs to speak to the technician, is there a way through AI we can just go straight from that guest to the maintenance, the technician to attend with all the information they need? Well, if we can do that through AI and, and process automation, I completely negate the opportunity for a team member to drop the ball. And not that they're going to drop it on purpose, but when they're trying to juggle lots of balls, at some point you're going to drop one. So how can we use it to, to kind of mitigate risk of, of missing something that ultimately then leads to a bad review from a guest or leads to uh, you know an issue uh, being created with the owner? So we're trying to view it from that point of view of, I suppose, processes and efficiency but really looking into say, I don't want to replace a human being doing it, but wherever a human could make a mistake, mm -hmm. can AI get us to the same result without making a mistake? And if so, then for me, that's a route we should we should take with it. Because ultimately, we want, we want the human beings focused on the human-to-human -human interaction. That That's where machine learning can't compete with us, but areas it can compete with us on process and reading something, extracting it and, and pushing it into another system. Well, Let's use it for that because that's ultimately where we're going to get real good gains and certainly at scale as well. Yeah, you, you've uh, you mentioned some, some, a lot of interesting stuff here. One of one of them that really resonates with me is is, is being able to pull data out of emails and reviews mm -hmm. automatically. Yep. And you know, I yep. I've had Evan Dolgau on the podcast about yep. four, four times now, I think, because <laughs> because he was the one last. I, I saw him speak in Miami at the Direct Book. Um, summit last October. Yeah. And he was the first person who ever talked about data that made it mm -hmm. clear and simple yeah. and said, you know, you're a property manager, you have got so much data at your fingertips, you don't realize it. And you're, you're clearly way beyond that now using that data. And then and of course, it enables you to segment your target audience and target yeah. guests. So yeah. Um, yeah. I, lo I love to see where all this is going. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, I mean, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, and it's back to your point, you know, if we look at it on data and it, we've got, we've got the data to make things more personalized, but then actually, I think if you take a property management business, we, we're almost overwhelmed with data and information that for, you know, a person for a property manager, if I take one of our property managers who oversee X number of properties for owners, They've got so much data coming at them. The challenge is actually what do they prioritize? How do they prioritize? How, how are they supposed to filter through that? Does it come back to, you know, whoever's shouting loudest is getting the most attention, which probably does. Because again, when you've got that human to human, that that's what happens. So, and, and you kind of feel for the property manager who's, you know, managing, you know, we work on ratios of 150 properties. So if they're overseeing 150 properties, you know, how do they prioritize that? If they've got to look at those guest reviews and, and extract data from that and do something about it and then communicate to the right team or the right person to then go out and then take that action, it's a really difficult job to get someone to do that. And, and that's for me where AI fits in mm -hmm. because literally with it, literally within half a second, it can read that information, summarize it, and then push it to another system, which we can't do as human beings. So that's where the future is for me in terms of being able to to really streamline that and actually where the benefit comes for us as property managers because 
we should be able to manage properties better for our owners off the back of that because we're actually taking relevant action more mm-hmm. quickly rather than spending x number of days of actually filtering through the info before we do anything about it yeah when i when i look back and think you know i wish i wish i wish i'd had all this at our fingertips in the past when i was trying to do all this and it was all very manual and and yeah, yeah. you're absolutely right you know the squeaky wheel is the one that gets the attention and yeah yeah he who shouts loudest yeah completely yeah um yeah. Okay, moving on a bit because time is 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 moving on as ever. I did want to ask about your split of homeowners between investors and family owners. And I'm really mm-hmm. curious about this because you do so much management of a property and, and you'll do design and decor yep. and you want to make sure everything meets those standards. So investors, I can understand, you know, somebody buys a property and says, here you go, Dale, here's my property. Do with it what you can yep. and give me the best return. What do you do with the family owners who, you know, they want their input, they love grandma's old throw and the decor and the old wallpaper and how, how do you deal with those or do you not, (laughs) do you just not take them on? Yes. So some of those wouldn't fit within our brand profile ultimately. So if we're getting something, it's kind of back to that where we're four and five star, we would take three star stuff as long as they're willing to commit to improvement and we would work with them on that improvement journey. But ultimately, if we feel the property doesn't fit our brand profile, then then we wouldn't bring it on. And again, it's, as you scale, that's something we, we're constantly trying to battle with internally in terms of educating our property consultants who, who bring the properties on of you know what those rules are around that. So you know, my, my wife, Rach, is head of onboarding. So pretty much every property that comes on board passes through her department. And, and Rach is the brand police, like she will throw the gauntlet down in terms of if it's not on brand, then she's the first one on the phone to me saying, Dale, what, why is this coming on board? It shouldn't be. So we're, we're relatively protective of that brand and making sure that that mm. property fits the profile. Because if it doesn't, we also know that we're not going to deliver the service uh, that we can for owners. And that also plays into, you know, those family owners who maybe we're used to doing Monday to Friday, Friday to Monday stays, which again, isn't our bag you know again the world's moved on from that point of view we are relatively flexible in terms of you know guests that stay in a host and stay property can check in any day of the week it doesn't matter to us because again our service level we will we do changeovers every single day of the week we do you know one night stays in properties we do two nights we do three nights plus obviously so again we want to have a really flexible solution for guests because we know that's also what can really drive the revenue in a property so we've got all be really cautious if we've got a homeowner that wants to transfer from an existing traditional agent who's been used to real traditional holiday let methods, they're probably not a good fit for our business. And although a profit consultant may bring them on saying that we can fit to that, the reality always comes out that they end up not liking our model because it's not what they've been used to. So that really kind of leads on to say that from a investor versus family owned split, we are heavily investor our you know our portfolio is heavy from an investor point of view vast majority of our clients it's they're purchasing that property as an asset they want a return on it you know over time hopefully over time or 10 years as we were talking about before not just over the next year but you know our portfolio is heavy in that sector and we've kind of i guess in the marketplace naturally attracted those type of clients as the portfolio has grown i don't know whether it's through kind of people when they find us looking at our portfolio and thinking, okay, well, my property has to be a certain standard to be on that portfolio. So if they don't feel like it is, then maybe they're not coming to us or inquiring with us or just naturally we, we've, we've attracted that client. And it's, it's always an interesting one for me because 
you know, I do look and compare at what we know we generate at gross revenue level uh, from a property. And I see a lot of the competitor published stats and uh, how much lower those are at gross level, which leads me to think, well, they can't have an awful lot of investor clients because there can't be much return at those levels, which is back into that maybe family owned, want to use it for six months a year themselves, six mm-hmm. months a year as a holiday let to cover some costs. Whereas I can I can definitely say the vast majority of our owners are wanting to drive profitability month you know month in month out from their properties, which means that you know ultimately we're accountable for that and we we've, we've got to drive that hard in terms of you know driving bookings, being efficient as we can from a housekeeping mm. point of view, making sure it's well maintained because we're driving footfall through them hard as well. Uh, but on the flip side, because we deliver multiple different services that also plays well for us because obviously we generate revenue at each stage of the process and that's how our business is is stacked up we essentially try to be cost effective all the way through the different processes for an owner rather than trying to stack our margin on one aspect which might be that front end commission fee you know we we charge 10 percent plus that as our commission so we are pretty much the cheapest in the marketplace but we make margin on housekeeping, we make margin on maintenance, we make margin on interior design, we make margin on refurbishment. So we, mm-hmm. we try and be cost effective all the way through because we want to affect, we want to essentially manage the full process for the client. Yeah, that is great. What about legislation? There was no legislation out, years ago. You know, you just, yeah. you bought a property, you rented it out, nobody cared. <laughs> now, yeah. now, they, yeah. now they do care and they care at a local totally. level, they care at a county level, they care at yeah. a country level how how is yeah. this impacting the business so i guess you know regulations come in inevitably it's coming whether we whether we like it or not my personal view is that i think it's a, a great thing for the industry because it will professionalize the industry i think currently it is too easy for a individual to rent a property on airbnb with with no regard really for safety you know i always think like someone renting the property on Airbnb, a family coming and staying, and there's no guarantee or any level of kind of acknowledgement of what you're going to get when you get there in terms of what safety provisions have been met in that property. So I think we need that ultimately. Uh And I think if we look at, certainly I'm I'm speaking from a UK point of view here, but if we look at everything a landlord has to hit from a residential netting point of view, EPCs, EICRs, gas certification, insurance levels, et cetera, Whereas from a holiday let point of view, which in my view is is higher risk, yet we seem to have a lower tolerance uh, level or higher tolerance level, sorry, in terms of a lower threshold for entry in terms of what you need to do. So for us from day one, we, we've always had a, we call it a 10 point checklist from a compliance point of view. So we ask for over and above what other agencies would in terms of what we want from the owner to let that property with us. So, and because our maintenance and compliance teams in-house we're able to facilitate those services for, for owners. You know, we have an approved electrician in group that does all of our EICRs, our PAP testing, same on gas. So those services uh, from a compliance point of view to get those right certificates, we will deliver that for the owner. So we're in quite a nice position. And I actually think legislation coming in will be a positive for us and for our owners as well, because we're already in the right place to to kind of fit in with that. Certainly if we see England go the way that Scotland has. I think then when you take what's happening at local levels obviously we, we all know that short-term rentals have taken the flak for rising house prices locals not being able to buy in certain locations because the same investors and uh, holiday homeowners have pushed the prices up i think that we're just kind of being scapegoated for that there's so many different factors that play into you know locals being to, to be able to afford housing and, and, and house prices etc and 
I also think that we, or certainly councils and governments, miss the fact, I'm talking from a UK point of view here, that there are so many empty homes that are not getting used that could be brought back into use. And for me, that's where a lot of the focus actually needs to go. That's a kind of a, a passion project of mine is I would love to be able to, at a certain point in time, be able to say for every one holiday home that we put on the host and stay portfolio, we help bring an empty home back into mm-hmm. use. And that's something I'm kind of trying to push in at local level at the moment. But being able to get that data, being able to get councils on side with that is really difficult when you would think, they'd be kind of throwing their arms up and saying, yeah, come on, come and help us when we've got these housing issues and it just isn't the case, unfortunately. So yeah, kind of around that way of saying, I think regulation, it's coming at us. I think we've got to embrace it. I think it will professionalise the industry. I think it will raise that barrier to entry that actually for good property mm-hmm. managers and, and good holiday home operators, it's going to make things easier for us. We're going to be able to take a bit more of the market back from individual operators, rogue operators, etc. So I do see it as a, a positive, Heather. I don't see it as being a negative, really. Not for the property management side that's, that's done well, ultimately. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that across the board, really, from from the professional property managers who are almost embracing mm-hmm. embracing what is yeah. what is coming in because it does raise that barrier to entry. Final question. I've, I've over years, you know, tried to network with other agencies, network with, uh, you know, other professionals in the industry. Tell me about briefly the UK Short-Term Accommodation Association, the STAA. Uh, you're on the board. Yep. What are the benefits for people to actually become a member of an association such as this? I think it's probably more key now than ever in relation to that last point on, on regulation coming. I think in, you know, making sure that individual owners kind of realize what's on the you know what's on the roadmap for the years ahead in terms of that regulation is licensing going to come into play if it does then what do they need to get ready for and prepare for you know again speaking from a uk point of view you know what's going to happen with planning there's there's kind of talk out there that holiday homes are going to become their own planning class and need to apply for planning permission how is that going to be determined? Are grandfather rights going to apply? If they are, then what's going to be the determining factor? From that point of view, our take on it at the moment is that for grandfather rights to apply to a UK holiday home, it will need to be registered for business rates. And that, that that's going to be the yardstick. So we're working hard with our homeowners at the moment to make sure that they, they're registered for business rates and operating in that way. But again, that's something we would always advocate on through our onboarding process. But speaking to lots of operators, they don't even get involved in that with their owners. They kind of they don't recommend that. They're not guiding them on it. So mm-hmm. that's for me where the STAA comes in, in terms of being able to push out that guidance, push out that knowledge at scale to you know property managers of a smaller level who might not be up to speed with it, to individual uh, holiday homeowners who are probably quite blind to the fact of what's coming, especially if they're using a management company mm-hmm. and are therefore not necessarily keeping up to speed with all of these changes. And if their property management company isn't then communicating that down to them, which if, again, if they're a smaller operator, they may not be. So I think really being involved in that just means they're going to get that information and take the action now before it could be too late for them. And that that's ultimately what we're preparing for at the moment is to make sure through our knowledge of being part of the STA, yes, I sit on the board, but host and stay the same as Sykes and I think Travel Traps is a member now as well. You know, we're all trying to come together to actually make sure that holiday homeowners across the UK are getting the information they need to get themselves prepared for for changes that are coming. Because the last thing we all want to see is all of a sudden we can't list properties because of X, Y, and Z, and we've got to get licenses in place. We need to be prepared for it. You know, we none of us want to see the sector 
go back over so we've got to all be up to speed to make sure we keep on moving forward together and i think ultimately that those governing bodies you know that's their role to be able to do that to to kind of congregate the masses and make sure that that information is being filtered down and ultimately also that they're working with government to get the right outcomes you know sda is working with with the english government at the moment to you know to get hopefully a registration scheme in place first before a license scheme because as we all saw scotland went straight to licensing which has caused chaos ultimately over the last 12 months so it's making sure that we we've, we've got that voice that can work with government that can you know work with local councils to get the best result for for the sector ultimately dale this has been such a great conversation We've covered so much, and I think we could yeah, probably so. cover a whole lot more. Yeah. Um, sorry we didn't actually get to meet. We were in Barcelona at the same time last April. I'm sorry yeah, we, we didn't actually get to meet. But no, maybe... Hopefully next time. Maybe next time. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure having you uh, you on the show. Um, I'll make sure that links to host and stay are on the show notes and any other connections, your your um, your social media handles so that if, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, then then they can do that. I will Perfect. be watching you <laughs> in very closely over the, next, <laughs> over, over, the, over the next months and years. Really interesting to see how you grow. And one thing I hadn't mentioned, I love the fact that you're a family company. It, it is it is great when you, oh, when you have everybody working there with you. My business partner is my son. My husband's upstairs right, okay. doing my podcast editing. My daughter-in-law manages all the sponsorship. So, yeah, we, we two are a family business. And it, 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 yeah, it is great to have that. But thank you so much. Thank you for yeah, giving lovely. me the time today. And I look forward to, uh, to meeting you in the future. Yeah, lovely. Thanks for having me, Heather. And uh, hopefully I'll speak to you again soon. All right. Thank you so much, Dale Smith from Host and Stay. What a great conversation. I was just saying to Dale afterwards, you know, having been in the business for 20 years and taking a long time to go from one property to 150, although we had we had been at 200 at one point and we dropped back to 150 when we started to to do what Dale now does from the very beginning, and that was be selective about properties. But still, to go from one to 900 in five years, and in fact, really just four years before, before it's just been four years since he started to grow out the business, and uh, and expecting to double that and get to three thousand by twenty twenty five. Amazing! I will be following his progress closely over the next months and years, and hopefully have him back on again in a year or so's time. So that's it for this week. This was quite a, a long, lengthy interview, so I don't want to keep you any longer. I hope you really enjoyed that. You took a lot from it. Make sure you let me know if uh, if you've got any questions and make sure if you're not already a member of the Facebook group, the Business of Short-Term Rental and Property Management, that you join up. And don't forget our new podcast series called The Tipping Point is also available. That is published every Monday and those are just ten, little 10 minute episodes. So you can just go along there and just get your snippet of business education from there. Uh, I'll make sure there is a link to the Tipping Point episodes if you haven't come across them yet. And I'll put that in the show notes. Thank you once again for joining me. Always a pleasure. It's been a pleasure as ever being with you. 
If there's anything you'd like to comment on, then join the conversation on the show notes for the episode at vacationrentalformula.com. We'd love to hear from you. And I look forward to being with you again next week.